I'm Johnny Condon. Robbie Sullivan here. This is Political Talk with Two Guys from Boston, brought to you by Bevilacqua Heating and Air Conditioning. We're cool if you are cool. Don't forget, folks, Bevilacqua Heating and Air Conditioning t-shirts and beer koozies are now available at ComedyFilmNerds.com. Yeah, and they fit nice, don't they? You just need a computer and money. Yeah. And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves holidays where the only direction is drink too much. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And yes, we are. We are all, well, not just Larry Miller, we're here. We're all here together, and I'm, I'm so excited because, again, that theme song makes me so happy. That's the Rick Buckaloo Orchestra and the Carol Capshaw Dancers featuring boy tenor Tony Day asking the musical question, if you're traveling at the speed of light and you turn on your headlights, will it make a difference? Well, that's a heck of a question, Tony. And yes, it will, but I can't tell you that right now. First of all, I want to thank Rick and Carol again. I'll explain something more about Carol just a little later. But you know something, uh, Tony, that that uh, that really is a good question. If you're traveling at the speed of light and you turn on your headlights, will it make a difference? And the truth is, it's such a good question. It was in every big time science book for 50 years because that's one of the ways they would explain not only the nature of the speed of light, but the concept of relativity, one speed relative to another in this case. And so when people used to ask, if you're traveling at the speed of light and you're in a car and you turn on your headlights, will it make a difference? What will the, what will the headlights do? It's a terrific question and a really high-minded science question, which, let's be honest, you and I have been waiting for. And, well, Tony, I have to tell you, I don't know technically, scientifically, physiologically, what will happen to the headlights. I'm assuming that a car going the speed of light, the first question you have to ask a car going the speed of light is, why are you going the speed of light? What what are you doing? Is one of you stupid? Is the driver stupid? And... If the car is going the speed of light and you're in it, that means you're going the speed of light, too. So aren't there a lot of questions you want to ask yourself, your friends in the car? Doesn't one of you want to ask, hey, if we knew we were going to travel the speed of light, shouldn't we have had dinner before we left? Did we have to get it to take in the car with us? Now the food is going the speed of light, too. And Tony... I think the best answer I can give you is, I don't know, or no, it won't make a difference. I think that would be so cool if you were in that car going the speed of light, you turn on your headlights, and your headlights go on, because to you in the car, you're also going the speed of light, and to you and everyone in the car, including the food you brought in, it is headlights. It is a car still moving. Now, at the same instant, perhaps someone observing all of you, including the car going the speed of light, would not see the headlights go on. Perhaps to the observer, nothing happens. But he or she could still see that car going the speed of light and could still see you and your friends fighting over the cheeseburgers. But you know what? I don't know, Tony. I don't know what happens when you turn on the headlights in a car already going the speed of light. Maybe that's why it was always used as such a great example for physics teachers to talk about when it came to the speed of light and even the basic principles of the theory of relativity. And so you know what, Tony? Please write us back, not just another musical question, but please 
Take a look yourself, and I'll bet you can bring up on the Internet in a hundred different places what happens to other matter when some of the matter is going the speed of light. And don't you dare say it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, good question, Tony. Check it out yourself, and, uh, and we will announce your results without question from right here, the island of Milleronia. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon, still the greatest company in the world. You can get anything in the world you want from Amazon, except, of course, an actual Amazon. If you're looking for a really tough, gorgeous, muscular woman... And let's be honest, who isn't? But if you're looking for one, and you want her to be six feet tall, and you want to be just her, just should, she should be great with all sorts of spears and knives and weapons. And, well, you can't do that with Amazon. They, they can do everything else, though. Here's what they do. Anything in the world you want, you ask them, and they'll send it to you. Now, that's pretty good right there. Anything you can imagine, they'll send it to you. So you're happy. And whatever you order from them, they're happy. That's how they make a living. And the third factor is here. Whatever you order from them, they send us, Colonel Jeff and me, a percentage of what you order. So you're happy, they're happy, and I can promise you, we're happy here. And we still haven't figured out whether to keep a third share of it for Dr. Chris we like him very much, and he likes us very much. But remember, he's not part of the show now because he's still in space camp. He signed up for space camp, and he's doing very, very well. I'm telling you, folks, when uh, you get you get something from Amazon, they send part of that dough to us. It's a good deal for everyone. Makes them the finest company in the world. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Still also one of the greatest companies in the world, because remember, if you enjoy our show and would like to send us a few bucks to help out, you can through PayPal on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Remember, that's LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> Boy, I, I'll tell you. I forgot that was going to happen there. Colonel Jeff is in charge of things like that. And it made me laugh. And uh, who was the fella at Yankee Stadium who used to play such a great organ? Oh, I can't remember. It's Eddie, I think it was Sam Shepard who used to do the announcing. And he was always wonderful. I think he's passed on now recently. But he was a great announcer. He would bring... Oh, he would bring people up, and he'd always say the number first, then the person, and then the number again. He'd always say, number seven, Mickey Mantle. Number seven. And he was just great. But Eddie May, Hugh Mayberry something, who played the uh, organ there. Oh, how do you like that? The colonel just looked it up. Eddie Layton. He was great, and he didn't just fill in to fill time. He had a good sense of humor, and he could play, well, snippets of songs or whole songs, oh, like the lullaby of Broadway, and Eddie Layton, God bless him. If you're gone on to the next stadium, Eddie, you have our hopes and and prayers for his very more successful organ playing. So in any case, though, what you, what you do is, with PayPal with us, Instead of, we have a policy, instead of saying, well, we donate, or, well, pay what you like, or, well, we, we just always like to say, buy us some drinks. That's right. You can buy us some drinks. And my plan that has always been for you, go to your favorite bar in the middle of the day, 2.30 in the afternoon. No one's there. No one's having lunch. No one's sitting at the bar. It's just the bartender with his foot up on the speed rack doing a crossword puzzle. And... It places empty, and when you go up there and he says, What do you need, pal? You say to him, How much do you charge for a drink? And when he tells you what the price is, you do two things. One, you multiply it by two, and you send it to us here at the show. And the second thing you do is, as long as you're in the bar, 
as long as you're talking to the bartender, as long as you know how much the drink is, order a drink and sit there and maybe he'll give you part of the paper he's reading too. And you can spend a very pleasant 25 minutes with that drink and that newspaper and that bartender. And by the way, we're on different levels here. So how to to contribute to buy us some drinks. We have level one through five all the way up to we're driving to Florida. So every little bit here helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And we thank you. And by still, we're not done yet. And by there's more to say. ComedyFilmNerds.com. That's right. We're selling my book online now. My book, Spoiled Rotten America. It's now, if you want, by the way, you can get an autographed hard copy of my book. And each book comes with a free Larry Miller Drinking Society card. So to buy the book, you go to store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And it should be right on the front page there. And so, plus, by the way, here on Milleronia, I always like to tell you something about us because it, it, it helps you know what a beautiful, wonderful, secret evil island this is. And in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we will be dying all of our drinking water green. That's right. Every glass of our drinking water will be green. I'd actually, the whole Pacific Ocean. I know, I know it seems impressive, but we wanted to do something big. We are dying the entire Pacific Ocean green. I know it does seem impressive, but look, our original plan was, as you know, most evil bad guys with an island are always trying to change the weather. That, for some reason, they, they, they have a thing about the weather. I think I have a plan how to change the weather. But, and uh, you know what? The, we we love the whole concept of St. Patrick's Day. I'll be telling you a little more about it later. And we've died the Pacific Ocean, and we're working on beer. And now... Waiting for you and the power you possess. <laughs> that was great. The colonel just found that. And I do have a Wonder Woman update for you. As you may know, in the past, I've mentioned this once or twice. I adore Linda Carter. When I was a kid, there was nothing... A 15-year-old boy wanted to see more than Linda Carter in that Wonder Woman uniform, arms akimbo, just looking at a bad guy, knowing she was about to capture him. And every 15-year-old boy, starting with me, was looking to capture her. God bless her. She's just gorgeous. She's a great actress, and she was a great Wonder Woman. And the colonel just found out that another terrific actress with whom I have worked, with whom I have made a short, a movie. And that was recently, and I've gotten to know her, and we like each other very much, and she's a friend now, and that is Joanna Cassidy. Oh, she's terrific. She's just wonderful. And uh, you've seen her in so many movies. She was uh, in the, what was that, the Ridley Scott movie, The, the Future Blade Runner, yes. My golly, she was, and and God bless her, she was always gorgeous. I mean, she was that, well, like an Amazon, tall, muscular, beautiful, and capable of everything. And I just loved working with her and loved having watched her in the movies of the past. And it turns out Colonel Jeff just told me, he came across a little fun fact here, that Joanna Cassidy was up for the part of Wonder Woman along with Linda Carter and Joanna Cassidy just couldn't do it. She was away. She was working somewhere else or whatever the whatever the problem was. And so it became Linda Carter 
who I adore anyway, but how do you like that? I'll be seeing Joanna in a, in a little bit here. There'll be another, well, another cast party for what we did together. And I'm telling you, folks, Joanna's beautiful, too. But holy mackerel, to have that kind of intersection right there. Linda Carter was always gorgeous, and so is Joanna Cassidy. And now, my favorite part of the show, the joke <laughs> of the week. <laughs> I think I laugh at that more now because I have no idea what it means. I have no idea what those sounds mean, and the colonel just shrugged. He doesn't know either. And uh, if you do know, send us a note at LarryMillerPodcast.com. If you have an idea of a good dramatic reason or a good comedy reason why those, that that bass drum or that timpani, that <laughs> Well, it certainly fits to me. That would be the sound of my mouth dropping if I ever met Linda Carter. And in any case, here's a good joke of the week. The colonel and I liked this one, and I hope you do too. A woman comes home, and she's she was working late, and now it's about 8.39 at night, and she's had it. She's tired. She's, she's ready to just... Oh, kick off the shoes and, and lie down and call it quits. And she walks into the house, walks into the bedroom. What do you think she finds? Her husband in bed with a very pretty young woman, and she hits the ceiling. She's so tired from working. How do you do that anyway? And she just says, you know, that's that's it. I can't believe you would do it. That I'm good. We, we are getting a divorce. I don't want to be around you anymore. I'm calling a lawyer immediately. And he, he says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, honey, wait. Let me tell you what happened, please. And she crosses her arms and half turns away and says, I don't, I don't want to know what happened, but when, you, when, you're, when you're done, that's it. You're getting out of this house. And uh, he says, honey, look, please, let me just tell you what happened. I was leaving work myself today, and I saw this young woman who was, by the way, who was filthy and, and looked as if she couldn't walk well, and she was sort of, bent over, hunched over a mailbox, and she was so dirty. And I looked at her, and she was right near my car, and I said to her, are you all right? Is something wrong? And she said she tried to smile, but she couldn't. She was too weak. She was too sick. She was too hurt. And I said, you look as if you haven't eaten in a long time. And she, and she nodded and said, three days. I haven't eaten in three days. And he said to her, good Lord, get in this car now. I put her in the car. That's the right thing to do. And then I, I drove her home here and, and made her a nice meal. I made her those tacos I made for you last night that you didn't like because you thought, well, you were putting on weight or something. And, and, and so they were left leftovers. They hadn't been eaten. So I heated them up and I made them for her. She went through them like, like Grant took Vicksburg. I'll tell you that she just went one after the other. She does that, and uh, honey, those clothes weren't to be saved. I threw them right out. And then when she got out, I, I gave her to wear. I gave her the brand new blue jeans that I got for you that you don't like because you didn't think they were stylish. And I, and I, but I, I said, well, I gave them to her. I gave her those jeans. And then I gave her that white blouse that my sister got you for your birthday last year that you didn't like cuz you just don't like my sister and you just and you didn't want her to make her feel good by thinking that you liked the blouse she gave you so I gave her that blouse and she put it on it was fine and then I gave her the cowboy boots that I got for you the ones that are handmade that you you didn't like cuz you said another woman in your office uh, has a pair of those too and so you never wore them and I, and I gave them to her and they fit her fine and she's all dressed now and clean and has all that good food in her. And I gave her also that ski jacket, that winter coat of yours that you never wear, that you just don't like because you think it looks like you're trying to put on airs or something. And I gave that to her. I put it on her and walked her to the front door. And as we got to the door, she held her hand up and she said, no, wait, is there anything else you can give me that your wife doesn't like anymore? 
<laughs> and that's how it happened. That's a pretty good joke. And <laughs> In any case, that's why Carol Capshaw was the leader of the dancers tonight. She sent that joke to us. So thank you, Carol. And uh, the colonel and I think that joke is A-OK. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. Yes, and that poor, dirty, hungry woman was coughing just like that until that nice young fella made her feel so good again. In any case, here's a nice poem, a lovely poem. Uh, remember, a good poem is like a good joke. It helps our day, it makes us think, and it gives us a smile, or it makes us reflect. And this one is just like that. It's by John Clare, C-L-A-R-E. Well, technically, that's capital C, L-A-R-E. And the poem is called, All Nature Has a Feeling. All nature has a feeling. Woods, fields, brooks are life eternal. And in silence, they speak happiness beyond the reach of books. There's nothing mortal in them. Their decay is the green life of change. To pass away and come again in blooms revivified. Its birth was heaven. Eternal is its stay. And with the sun and moon shall still abide beneath their day and night and heaven wide. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that nice? And again... A terrific poet. I've read one or two others of John Clare in the past, but what a nice feel he has for beautiful words. Boy, all nature has a feeling. Woods, fields, brooks. You can just guess when that was written, by the way, because, let's be honest, how many of us are going to write something today about woods, fields, and brooks? If you read someone who's writing about that, man or woman... Well, you want to say to to that poet, you know what? Get yourself an apartment. Move into the city. Write about something, you know, skateboards, anything. Little hot dogs on the corner. But thank you, John Clare. That was a beautiful poem. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. The Magic Movie Moment. With my favorite piano note at the end. Yes, the Magic Movie Moment. 3M, Triple M. Ride the High Country. That's the movie for today from 1962. Directed by the great Sam Peckinpah. And by the way, it was very successful and very popular all over the world. In fact, I think he won that, that award in France that everyone takes in with those movies. They saw this movie. They thought it was fabulous. It's a, a, it's a Western. It's technically a Western. Folks, if you've seen this movie, you know how wonderful it is. Ride the High Country. If you haven't, see it soon. Starring Randolph Scott, Joel McRae, Mariette Hartley, Edgar Buchanan, James Drury, Warren Oates. And a quick note, by the way, this movie was so good. Joel McRae was such an engaging and affectionate actor and a, and, a, and a tough guy. But he always stood up for what was right. And and folks, boy, uh, and I had a chance to work with Mariette Hartley on her show when she was on the CBS Morning Show. And, oh, I just have loved her since. And every so often we bump into each other. And I just want to tell you, this movie, Peck and Paul had such a touch, such an eye, such a way of telling stories. And in this movie, it is in the Old West. And both Joel McRae and Randolph Scott used to be 
Well, very tough guys, big lawmen who really kept the land safe. But, well, life has moved on now, and they're a little older. And they're, well, in their 50s, close to 60, over 60. And they don't get the kind of respect they used to get. And they've been doing little jobs along the way, and Joel McRae gets a chance to take a lot of gold from one place to another for a company. It's a terrific story. It's a great plot. Please see it along the way. They pick up Mariette Hartley at her farm to take her because she's getting married in a mining camp. And to all those three brothers, boy, the, the Drummond brothers, I think the name is. That's James Drury, Warren Oates, and the great Edgar Buchanan, by the way. Uh, plays a judge. Oh, he's been drinking too much. He always drinks too much. He has a he has a drinking problem. Boy, Edgar Buchanan is such a good actor. He was always a great dramatic actor and a great comedic actor. And what's magical about this movie to me? Well, the whole movie is magical. But there is one scene near the end, and Joel McRae was in a gunfight with the three brothers and their father back at their place. And, well, Randolph Scott was thrown away by McRae. He threw him away because Randolph Scott was trying to steal that gold. His idea was to try to talk his old partner into taking it with him. And they, at one point, and Randolph Scott comes running in to join in to help with the gunfight. And they win. They kill all the bad guys. But... Well, Joel McRae has taken a bullet that's a mortal wound, and he's dying himself. And two things about that next scene coming up are magical to me. One is, it's an old way of living. It's a more traditional way of thinking, of a certain philosophy, because Joel McRae finally sees his friend now, and they have a chance not to hide anything and the friend says to him, you know, I was going to take that gold and you can trust me now. I wouldn't have taken it. I, I don't know what I was thinking. And Joel McRae says to him, it's such a simple way, folks. He says to him, I knew that. It doesn't sound like much of a line. I knew that. But after all they've been through, that this good man, Joel McRae, says he had faith in his friend as many of the bad times as they had to get through. Now they can be honest. And he says, I knew that. And he knows he's fading. He knows he's going. And now Marriott Hartley and another young man who was the third partner with Joel and Randolph, and they start to come over to where, well, Joel McRae is lying on the ground, and Joel says to Randolph, don't let them come over here. Send them back. Take them back now. They don't need to see this. And, folks, that's a different kind of thing. Today, as you know, in all movies and all TV shows, all people come over for everything. If someone's giving birth, the husband and the parents, everyone has to be there, has to be inside. I know, thank God I did that with my kids, and that's the way we are, and that's the way people do things, but I wouldn't have done that normally. I mean, I sort of like the older way of, well, 50 years ago and 100 and 500 and 1,000 years ago. Well, the husband was never in there during the birth. The husband, they'd say to the husband, stay outside here in the living room, stay downstairs, and have a drink with your friends and your brothers here and your dad's here, and you just stay here, and we'll tell you what happens. And I like that. I like the older way of thinking and living, so that not everyone has to be there for every single moment in life. And I like that because today, if someone was shot and someone was, well, was going, was, was going to, uh, well, leave life and go on to the next one, Today, everyone would come running over. His kids, her kids, father's brothers, strangers would come over going, 
Are you okay, buddy? Hey, what's wrong with this guy? Can we help him out instead of letting the guy be alone? That's the older way of doing things and the older way he wanted to do things and the way Joel McRae did it and the way Sam Peckinpah had both of those moments in there. And that became magical to me. It was always a magic movie moment to me. Ride the High Country, folks. 1962, directed by Sam Peckinpah. With Randolph Scott, Joel McRae, Marriott Hartley, Edgar Buchanan, James Drury, Warren Oates. And here's an interesting thought. Because I mentioned the great Edgar Buchanan, who was so wonderful and he was in Shane too, a great movie actor for so long. Joe McRae's daughter, Meredith, Meredith McRae, whose name you may know, she was one of the stars of the hit TV show Petticoat Junction. And it was a great show also. B. Benedict, so many terrific actors. And, and one of them was also the guy who played Uncle Joe in that. And that actor was Edgar Buchanan, too. And that's kind of a funny show business coincidence. Here in Ride the High Country, well, and in many other movies, but in Ride the High Country, he's playing the drunk judge who is used to try to make that marriage better for Marriott Hartley. And and then, sure enough, one blink away. This is 1962. When did... Uh, that was Ride the High Country. When did Petticoat Junction come out? Well, I don't want to look it up now. But it's got to be 1965, right? Something like that. And I, th I think it was always color, too. But in that was... Uh, he's introduced in the song every week, and I loved that song. That... And that's Uncle Joe. He's a moving kind of slow at the junction. Petticoat Junction. But you know what? It was a very good show, too. And so that's funny. Uncle Joe, Edgar Buchanan, was starring with Joel McRae. And then one blink later in show business, he's starring with Joel's daughter. And that's Meredith McRae. In two terrific stories. See... Ride the high country sometime. If you haven't, you're going to love it. And you're going to know why Sam Peckinpah became so great after that. That was his first movie. And by the way, he directed a number of uh, The Rifleman, some great TV shows. And he was a great visual storyteller even then. But Ride the High Country got him noticed. And from here to France and back, everyone started saying, who is this fella Peckinpah? More on him another time. And, well, you know, folks, we're celebrating St. Patrick's Day, which I've mentioned already, and we celebrate here on Milleronia. We always do, which is odd, because no one technically is Irish. Everyone is Milleronish on Milleronia. But we don't, we don't even drink a lot here on Milleronia. We just tell old stories about things like perfect topics, like St. Patrick's Day. And Colonel Jeff and I were looking up St. Patrick to wonder, well, how did this come about? Why do we all say, oh, St. Patrick's Day, when we were in elementary school, and the colonel was telling me he got pinched all day long, again and again and again, pinched, hard pinches, because... In his elementary school, if you weren't wearing green on St. Patrick's Day, that was, well, one of the rules of the roost there. That was the rule of the school, that you could get pinched by anyone who wanted to. And that, of course, meant... For, what do you think that means in elementary school? It means every other single boy in elementary school walks over to you during the day and... Whoa, it and just pinches you in the arm and the butt and the stomach, whatever it is. You get pinched. And uh, you could ask Jeff then or those fellas now or me now, why, why the pinching? I don't know. 
Does anyone know? There's no. There's nothing to know there. But it's a very popular holiday, and it was to everyone. And St. Patrick was from the 5th century. He was the primate in Ireland. He was Bishop Patrick, and he was someone who also, he is known for driving the snakes out of Ireland. He is He drove them out into the sea. The snakes chased him up a tree in Ireland there when he was on some kind of fast on a religious retreat, and they chased him up a tree, which, as it turns out, was not a wise move for the snakes because Bishop Patrick got down from that tree and chased them right out. He ran after them and hooting and hollering and and screaming and chased them right into the sea, and there hasn't been a snake in Ireland since. And that was in the 5th century. So, you know what, what? Why does this mean a great holiday for us? Well, it's probably not. It's not really for me. It's not for you, probably. Uh, it used to be something to do something about. And I have a story about it, and I'd like to tell you. I grew up on Long Island in New York. And one day, St. Patrick's Day at school... We were in 11th grade, so I guess we were 16 or 17, and two of my friends, Chuck and Bob and I, were talking in the morning there just before the first class. So that would have made it all about quarter to nine in the morning on St. Patrick's Day. And sure enough, one of us gets the idea, hey, let's cut school and go into New York for St. Patrick's Day. Now, there didn't need to be anything more involved as a plan than that. By the way, that meant Manhattan. When we said New York, that we were talking about Manhattan. So we weren't talking about going to Brooklyn or the Bronx or Staten Island or Queens. We meant let's go to Manhattan because that's where the St. Patrick's Day Parade is going to be. And that's where everyone's going to be celebrating. Now, what does celebrate mean? I don't know. We didn't know then. But Chuck had his mother's car at school there with him. And to show you how the times were also, the three of us got into his mom's car and he drove us to our mother's because we had to ask permission. And that was, well, the polite thing to do. And uh, my mom said, okay, you know, that we said we were going to uh, just uh, leave the car here and take the train, the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan. And she said, okay, which still amazes me because it's not the exact kind of thing you want your 16-year-old or 17-year-old son to do. And then we went to Bob's house, and his mother had, I still remember this, this was great. She said, well, all right, but she gave him that eye, that mother's eye, very powerful eye where she looks right through you. And his mom said to him, all right, before you all pile into that car, Now, Bob, tell me the three rules. And he had three rules, and he took these seriously. They were serious. She gave him three rules that he had constantly for a trip like this, for any kind of jaunt with friends. And he immediately just said, Okay, Ma, uh, you don't want me to come home drunk and not get arrested? You don't want me to get arrested? And you said, uh, you also... No pregnant girls. No girls get pregnant. And at the time, even as a kid, I thought, those are pretty good rules. They really are. Well, you don't want to come home drunk. And I don't mean a little lit up. I don't mean giggling or, oh, look at this picklehead. He's a little tipsy. I don't mean that. I'm talking about drunk, and that's what his mom was talking about. It wasn't proper for a young boy to come home that way. And so you couldn't you couldn't come home drunk and couldn't get arrested. Don't get arrested. Now, she didn't follow that with get arrested for what? Don't get arrested for anything. Just don't get arrested. And don't get any young woman pregnant. Well, folks, again, I have to say those are three pretty good rules. And then we went to Chuck's house and in the car, 
and his mom was there too, and she gave it more of a question and answer period. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you going to do? Wait a minute, why are you doing this? And his big selling point, his big defense was, hey, mom, and he had a smile on his face, and he held his hands out, and he said, I got into a college, and he had. He had gotten into a college, and I can't remember what it was. I think it was what we used to call his safe school. So he got in there, and uh, it wasn't a big deal school, but it was to gay. You got into a college. That's a pretty big deal anyway. And it could have been called something like Bill's University. You know, it's one of those places. Or, uh, But he said, well, we got into, I got into a college. And she said, okay, okay. And she drove the three of us to the Long Island Railroad, to the train station, and we were all excited. This was a pretty big deal for us to go into New York. I had never done this. I'd never gone into New York like that, ever. And I don't think they did either. And so we got on the next train that was leaving. We got in there. That's about a, oh, about a 40-minute, 45-minute ride going through Jamaica. And folks... We got into New York, and I'm telling you, it was jammed. It was packed. Everyone was laughing and screaming and having fun. And everyone, when I say everyone, every single person there, throngs of people, all looked exactly like me and Chuck and Bob. That is to say, they were all 17 or so and had all said to their mothers, Oh, please, I want to go down to New York for St. Patrick's Day. And all of their mothers drove them to the train station, whether it was on Long Island or New Jersey or Connecticut or Westchester or anywhere around New York City. And they were all there. No one there was there, what you might call someone there for St. Patrick's Day. They were all kids from suburban areas, which is fine. It's a great place to be from. And every so often, one out of two or three hundred people was actually an older Irish guy, a guy with an accent who should be there for St. Patrick's Day. He was in, well, in the streets with everyone else, and he was smiling, and his blue eyes were twinkling, and I remember there was one guy, but that's the only people we saw who were there for St. Patrick's Day. They, they, there was one guy, I remember, who was smiling, and the, the sky had turned a little gray and was starting to rain just a tiny bit, and it was probably going to stop. And I remember him saying, we're in the middle of Fifth Avenue with thousands of other people. And I remember him just looking up and saying, well, looks like rain, but the Irish will take it. I still remember that phrase, but the Irish will take it. The Irish will take it. I'm still not exactly sure what it means that he's saying, we'll take it, we'll make good out of it, we'll do something. This was the one guy who probably had a place. He walked down to a place as a bar where they let him in because they know him forever. And that was the place he's been many times anyway. And that was his way, his place to spend St. Patrick's Day, which is the best place, really. So you go in there, you get a pint of Guinness and a shot of Jameson's, and you sit down on a stool at that bar. That's a pretty good way to spend St. Patrick's Day. Sounds pretty good now, doesn't it? At any rate... The rest of it was just us howling and screaming and laughing and skipping along. We literally started running around. We were just 17, and we started jogging, running through the streets, and again, they're jammed. Folks, they're so jammed, it was like New Year's Eve times 50. It was huge. It was packed with everyone, and we would go into whatever the local deli was and or the local uh, Korean grocery store, and we went in there to get some food and beer. And, okay, it was beer and food, to be honest. Actually, there was no food. That The point is we went in there to get beer, to be honest. And uh, we would get there. We'd get three six-packs. So there were three of us. So we'd walk in there and say, three six-packs, please. And they didn't ask for any ID. They didn't ask for draft cards. They didn't ask for driver's license, which is handy because we didn't have any of these things. And... They sell us each a six-pack of beer, and then we would go, and nobody was, well, nobody was hassling anybody. There were no police there who were going to say, hey, are you old enough to drink? 
And in those days in New York, by the way, it was 18. That that was the age to drink. So there was nothing in America. I think mostly half the states were still 18-year-olds drinking. But the reason there were no police around there, by the way, is they were all getting ready for the parade. Now, you will you may say to yourself, well, wait a minute. What does... What what did the Irish people have to do with the police department in New York City? To which the response is, oh, please, just don't. Just don't even ask a question like that. And I will never forget every year, every single year, I saw as a kid, as an adult, and the, well, all the police were dressed in uniform. They would go down to, well, all their stations, the station house, and they change into their uniforms, and the Irish police belong to the Hibernian Society, which is a group of Irish police, which is the same as putting the badge on. But, I mean, they got down there, and they would start to, well, cut loose a little, have fun a little, in the locker rooms at the police departments. They'd be putting their uniforms on, and someone, or everyone, had a keg of beer. Or they had cases of beer in the can. And they'd start to drink a few beers as they were getting dressed. And the other thing that I've already said before, Jamesons. You can't do anything Irish without Jamesons. There are other other terrific uh, Irish whiskeys. Paddy's is good. You know, they're, they're, and uh, I've never been that fond of Bushmills, but everyone likes Bushmills. And to me, it's, you want the right up the middle is Jamesons. You say, if you're looking to relax and you're in Dublin sometime, you, you know, get yourself a pint of the black stuff and a shot of Jameson's. And like that old man on uh, that we met in the city that, that day, just find yourself a stool to sit down on and then do it again. But the point is, folks, we had the best time doing nothing. Nobody was pinching us. Nobody was celebrating. Nobody had any banners. All the police were getting ready to march down the street. And I remember I used to see that on TV, folks. Folks, they would have a camera only about 15 feet above everyone's head in that parade. And you'd see the big lines of all the police coming down, all the cops in their uniform and looking neat and spanking and clean in those great, Blue New York City Police Department uniforms. And as they got close, you could see the faces. They were only at 12 feet away. Folks, there wasn't one face there that wasn't bright red or red-eyed. And I'm telling you, these terrific fellas who any other time would save your life and or take it, but <laughs> at any other time, and that day, any time on St. Patrick's Day, when they're marching down the street, if that's not the time you deserve to have a little bit of red in your face, I don't know what is the time. So, you know what? We were lucky. We had a great day. After three or four hours, which is no time at all, but by the time it got to be about four in the afternoon, we'd had it. And we started walking across town again back to Penn Station to get a train to go back to Long Island. And there are bars in Penn Station, that's sure true, and, you, you know, you can go to one of those, and we went and got a quick beer, but we weren't drunk, or we weren't wasted, or we weren't we loopy. Well, we had had the whole, the, the whole amount we had was probably three or four beers over three or four hours. And so if we got a one more beer in Penn Station at a bar there and one of those clear plastic cups. Well, why not? And we got back and we uh, Chuck's mom picked us up again and we dropped Bob off. And he said to his mom, who was waiting for these answers, he said, Mom, I'm not drunk, didn't get arrested, and there are no girls pregnant. And uh, we didn't even talk to any. And uh, she said, okay, go take a shower and get ready for dinner. And then they took me home. And my mom, God bless her, was just sort of the same way, just said, oh, she was happy I was back, and just said, 
hi to Chuck's mom. They knew, knew each other from the PTA. And hi to Chuck. And they dropped me off. And I did the same thing, just hit the shower and got ready for dinner. And then uh, Chuck and his mom drove back to their house. So you know what? That's technically a St. Patrick's Day story. That's a, technically a great story. It was thronged with people, and it was St. Patrick's Day. And, well, you could walk in and buy a beer anywhere you wanted. And yet, you know what? And sure, I would do that again in a second. Ah, if I were in New York today, when I started being a comedian, I was bartending three days a week at the comic strip in New York, which is on 2nd Avenue, still there. They're still doing great. And I remember that one of the owners, John, said to me, I was bartending one day on St. Patrick's Day, my first and only time. And he said to me, uh, listen, you keep that door locked and don't let anyone in. And he meant the front door. And he was always someone who wanted to sell, who wanted to make money. But I said, well, wait a minute, it's St. Patrick's Day. There are going to be people wandering by. The parade ends up on, what is it, 96th Street or something like that, or 86th Street. And they're going to just kind of come, all the firemen, all the police are going to be in uniform. They'll be coming down 2nd Avenue. They're going to be looking for a place. And And he said to me, he held his finger up, and he said, listen to me carefully. Don't open that door. And I was wondering why he was like that. And I thought some of my old friends from school might want to come by and do the same thing and have a shot of Murphy's and a bottle of Bud. And you know what, though? He said, no one comes in here. And you know what, folks? He was an old bar owner from New York, and he was right. He knew the crowds, and everyone would come in looking through the windows. They'd be banging on the door, and I'd look out the window, and I'd see them. The police, firemen, same thing, all in full uniform. And they had all had a belly full of whiskey and a beer, and they wanted more, and the parade was over. But I could see, you know what, God bless him. That was not the time to start a party at three in the afternoon in Manhattan. And uh, John was right. Whatever money you're going to make off people as a bar owner, it's better to say, fellas, we're just taking reservations on the phone and we're closed today. But in any case, I hope you have a good St. Patrick's Day. But I hope you have a good every day. And I hope you have stories like that in your past. Let us know if you do. Please do. And remember, we, uh, well, because we know the same things together. If you like the show, tell a friend. And let's keep growing up and growing this audience and knowing the same things. As you know, Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. And remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's sure still the truest thing I know. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. Excellent. Good, that was? Great show.